0: program parameters player code established welcome, welcome to the program a production of the nobody cares about the robot gimmick just start the fucking show already Ugh. humans are determined assholes this is the metal robot podcast initializing post playback Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. We're wrapping up August with a bang this week, back from the hiatus and ready to bring on the fire. And this is apparently brought to you by Avatar, who want to be our saviors? Go figure. On tonight's episode, Killfeather returns for part two, also Splintered Thrones' new album The Greater Good of Man, released last week with Lisa Mann behind the mic. Let's talk with the band's guitarist Jason Moser about that. In the Metal News Recap, Bring Me to Life at the top of the iTunes charts 19 years after release No One Knows Why. Also new Nightwish bassist and a tease for some proggy digicide music. But coming up in a few short moments, new releases from this week, including Machine Head, returning four years after the disappointment of Cathedral. But can they recover from that? All this and more, so let's not waste much more time, and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay, and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome, welcome. This is the last show for August, Tom McKay of the Metal Robot Podcast. So glad you can join us. We've got a lot of ground to cover this week in terms of reviews, but also in terms of news, which we'll get into later in the show. We've also had a super busy week to end the summer, and it's that time now where the metal parents get their begrudgingly non-metal kids ready to start the school year. Unless, of course, you're in the U.S., in which case, I hope you're enjoying that teacher strike. But this past week, we had a lot of releases, from albums to singles, across the metal world. There's no way I can truly cover all of them to the level of detail that you'd come to expect here on the podcast, but I'll try to cover a few things before we officially get started here, sort of like a lightning round kind of thing, because uh, some of these are also in many ways a tease for future episodes on the podcast. First up, that new Imperial Age, some folk symphonic metal out of Russia with the new album New World. Been following these guys for some time and am still pretty impressed. Front to back epic, might My- only thing is that I wish there could be a bit more power in the mix and production so that you can feel this album. It sounds great, but the production doesn't really capture how epic this really is. Now, battle overall, though, if you like Leaves Eyes, you're in for a treat. Also, Intense Exile was some heavy thrash metal to melt your fucking face off, so if that's interesting, go check it out. Uh, We got a couple of singles as well. The Effigy came out with One With My Enemy this past Friday. Gold brings on some great gothic rock metal sound. Early Evanescence fans will Definitely appreciate this one. And also, New York black metal Visarian with Reborn in Darkness, short and sweet, a song about a destiny character is gnarly and intense. These guys are definitely getting better since natural selection, and I look forward to what they come out with next with that new album that should be hopefully coming out uh sometime in the future. I discussed this with them on the podcast, which should be coming out this month, along with Effie Gold. Both of those guys will be on the podcast this September. Okay, all that out of the way, let's finally get into the reviews proper, because there were four albums that came out that I really wanted to talk about above all else, so let's get into it. As always, if you have any albums you want me to cover on future episodes of the podcast, send me an email, tmckay at themetalrobot.com, that's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Don't write Gmail, don't add an A to my last name, it'll just bounce. Or reach it on my socials, Facebook and Twitter at the Robot, Instagram at the dot metal robot use the hashtag metal robot podcast so i can find you now without further ado let's take a look at what we've got Machine Head is back with their new album of Kingdom and Crown, an album with lower expectations than an Attila concert and Meeting Great. Back in 2018, the band released Catharsis, and its reception was, to say the least, fucking horrendous. Multiple worst of 2018 lists, horrible reviews all over the place, and one nasty worst of 2018 review you'll never see because I lost the footage all those years ago. Whoops. Anyways, so that disappointment of an album has made people question how they're going to come back, if at all, with their next album. And with new members and this new one being a concept album to add more worry for fans and critics. Well, I'm happy to report that they did come back. Kinda. Starting off, of course, with Slaughter the Murder, a 10-minute opening track. Yeah, I know, I know. That was my first thought, too. I was like, oh, God, it's another catharsis. We're doomed. But no, it actually starts to pick up after a bit, and it serves as a really good representation for what the rest of the album is going to sound like. And the result is a thrashing, nasty American new Metal album. It does allow itself to try new things as well, much like Catharsis was trying to do, but delving into the sort of anthem rock big chorus kind of vibe. Again, Catharsis tried it but failed to make it interesting and not boring in any way. Here, it's back to basics, but bringing out that sort of new sound that they were experimenting with, especially with Become the Firestorm. I can totally see that being a big concert anthem with that chorus alone. Plus, some of these songs have no problem getting a bit technical with their riffing and drumming as well. It's not perfect, of course. One of the biggest critiques I've seen people have is that it is a return to form, meaning that if you already didn't like Machine Head before Catharsis, then you're not gonna like this one either. On top of that, the concept, yeah, I hate to admit it, doesn't track that well either. True, if you're not focusing on whatever story they're trying to tell, it's still enjoyable, but the story is a little hard to follow, if that is your intention. And while the interludes can help with figuring out where the story is going, the second and third interludes, Assimilate and Terminus, stop the album in its tracks to remind you, oh yeah, there's a story here, without actually adding anything to the experience. The only one that doesn't have this problem is Overdose, but only because it allowed the songs on either side to flow to and from smoothly and ramp up the intensity with a gut-wrenching and emotional response that you're supposed to get from this story. Plus, with an album just shy of 60 minutes, it's a bit longer than it really needed to be if I can really say so myself. But for me personally, that doesn't matter. I'm given a great comeback that this band desperately needed after Catharsis. It's not the best album in their discography by far, but it's the true Catharsis the band needed. Yes, I made the pun, shut up. 13 and a half out of 15, go pick it up, go check it out, but don't be afraid to check out their older stuff as well, you might find more good stuff out of that. <laughs> back. from thrashing american new metal we go to canadian gothic orchestral metal blood of indigo dawn of the shaded world is up next side note before i get into that stay tuned on the podcast uh, in the next coming weeks i'm speaking with the band and we'll have that interview soon enough to air here on this show so stay tuned for that make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out but the best way i can describe this album is Fans of Flesh God Apocalypse and Nightwish are gonna really enjoy this one. Great use of orchestral elements, destructive drum work and riffing, plus the lead work is just as prominent and, of course, we can't forget about those gnarly growls and screams. I do like the fact that this album is symphonic metal but doesn't go the route of having a soprano vocalist throughout the entire thing. I do enjoy that style of symphonic metal, don't get me wrong, but that market can get a bit oversaturated real fast if you're not careful. Thankfully, this album doesn't really focus on that. It's all, fuck, all album long. And the funny thing is, it starts off almost slow-like, almost like a sort of video game or movie soundtrack. The opening song, Mimesis, is 14 minutes long. First Slaughter the Martyr, now this? What is it with bands this week wanting to open with 10 minute tracks? But it's even more bold with this album because Mimesis is purely orchestral, which is a bold move for a metal band to do but it somehow still works and sits well with the rest of the album. I'll try to ask the band about that song specifically as well when I sit down with them and get more into that to really pick their brain about why they did that. But on this album, each song stands out on its own and doesn't feel monotonous. No song overpowers another, and there was never a point where I lost track of where I was. And even though this is a massive orchestral death metal album, it does at least know when it's necessary to take the volume down a few notches in songs like Jade and Her Quiet Place, sticking with a piano and a few well-placed sound effects throughout. Yet again, it still feels strong and fits really well with the rest of the album. Plus, it keeps going, the album keeps going and never lets up. And with the surprise appearance of Lindsay Schoolcraft, a friend of the show, on the title track at the end with her ethereal vocals, adding such a beautiful layer of ethereal wonder and excitement that is unmatched anywhere else in symphonic metal, the entire song is fantastic. A great album front to back as well, and I can't wait for more from these guys. Hard to tell thus far, but I think we have a strong Album of the Year contender with this one. 15 out of 15, go get it. A bound Multiplicity brings forth a great progressive metal sound with an odd approach to mixing and mastering. I'll get to that part in a bit. But first, let's take a look at the album music proper. Front to back, a solid hour and six minutes of epic and progressing metal music. I say progressive metal, and I truly mean it. This is modern prog metal in the most prog metal form of prog metal that prog metal can get in prog metal. It's got a sense of adventure and storytelling with a great sense of song structure, while also just being overall a heavy metal album with a clear metal attitude. And that's something I love about this genre especially with this album. It's clean in terms of the production and it's very clear in that you can hear the notes, but it's also heavy in the metal tones with a versatile vocal approach. Something with that combination I feel is lost amongst a lot of the prog metal bands that we are getting today who don't seem to grasp the concept of being able to mix the two together that well. Also when this album wants to, it can give you plenty of memorable moments to latch onto and put on repeat. But I will say while some moments, you know, kind of fade into the ether throughout the this album, the longer you listen to it, I will say the big thing I thought was weird is more on the mixing and mastering side. You see, when listening to this album, it sounded kinda dull-sounding, not in terms of the composition mind, but more in terms of the mastering and maybe possibly mixing. When I brought in the song in uh, that you're hearing under my voice for the podcast session, I opened up the spectral frequency view in the editor to see what I was hearing and found out the reason why it sounded dull. Literally everything above 12kHz, except for a weird whistle sound around 13k, is gone from the song. I'm not even joking, everything is gone, and I checked too. It's the same thing for every song on this album, except for precocious tribalism, but it's still weird to see. Now, for those of you who aren't mixing nerds or don't know what I'm talking about, let me show you what I'm talking about with my voice. Don't worry, even if you're not listening on headphones, you'll be able to hear what I'll start doing to my voice here. Basically, if you didn't know, all audio works with frequencies. It frequencies uh, that you can take into an audio software you can start manipulating with, with something called EQ or equalization. And it allows you to manipulate frequencies, turn up certain frequencies, and turn down certain frequencies. Now, there's low frequencies, which is what you'd be hearing in the bass sound, mid frequencies for the kind of body of the of the audio and high frequencies for a bit of air and brightness, which is kind of what you're hearing right now with my voice. I have a subtle boost in the low end around 200 hertz, but also a boost in the high end around three kilohertz or 3000 hertz and something called a low pass in the high end, which its purpose is to take that and remove everything above that point. So I'm removing everything above 16 kilohertz. Standard low pass for vinyl mastering. But what I think is happening here is the mastering is taking away everything above 12 kilohertz, which you can start to hear is happening to my voice right now as I'm moving the low pass filter down from 16 to 12 kilohertz. And you can hear how dull it's sounding now, maybe even a bit dark in the voice. And I haven't changed anything else. I could even take down a bit of the high end boost and you'll start to hear it is more and more prominent. That's the effect that I was hearing in this album which sucks because with progressive metal especially of this variety you want to have a bit of that brightness and airiness in my opinion to help with the clarity for the instruments and for the entire composition it's partly why i think i feel that the drums felt distant throughout the entire piece Okay, this sounds weird. I'm going to bring everything back now. Okay, that's better. So I'm sure there was a reason for doing this with the mastering. Don't get me wrong, but applying a low pass that extreme, in my opinion, hurt the sound of the album more than it did help it. I don't know. It doesn't affect the composition or anything. I just thought it was a weird thing to do for this. Not a bad album overall, 12 and a half out of 15. If you can look past the mixing and mastering approach that they have here, you'll have a good time with this one. And finally for this week's releases, Death Scythe Killing for Pleasure Forever, melodic death metal from Mexico. This is my first experience with this band overall, but what I really enjoyed about my experience with this sound was how diverse in its approach to MDM Killing for Pleasure Forever is. Creative drum patterns and beats throughout, fantastic riffs, choruses, and their use of builds and breakdowns is something I don't hear a lot of in this genre. Plus, those teeth-cutting vocals take this album up a notch, front to back, this is a get in the pit and rip that shit up kind of album. You're going to be fucking shit up to this album very fucking quickly. So much so, I saw this firsthand. In fact, when I was listening to this album in the morning before coming on to record this, I was making breakfast for myself while grooving hard to this album. There was visible body movement all over the kitchen. And I noticed this in the corner of my eye. My roommate came out of his room, saw what I was doing, then slowly moved back into his room, not saying another word about it. See, it's funny to think about in this moment, uh, but I was too busy with this album at that time. Each song comes in with its own identity, its own voice and stands out for anything that happens in each song. There's always something that you can grasp onto with this album. It grabs you by the hair mid-windmill most times and forces you to pay attention or risk going bald in the most painful way possible. It's no joke here. It's too early to tell, but with a 14 and a half out of 15, this may be one of my favorite MDM records I've heard this year next to Arch Enemy and The Halo Effect. If you are interested, go check it out if you haven't done so already. And that's it for reviews. Like I said earlier, send your emails to teammckay at themetalrobot.com or reach out on my socials for any albums you would like covered on the podcast or on the main YouTube show. Coming up, Killfeather returns to continue our talk from last week as well as our weekly metal news recap. But first, let's get 80s heavy with Splintered Throne right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead. I charged this last night. For fuck's sakes. Ah! While we can't solve a bad phone battery, you can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. Do you know the record
1: Teenage Dream by Katy Perry?
0: Oh, God. I want to get whoever produced that record. No, it's... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. MRP Throwbacks. Only on Spotify,
1: SoundCloud, and
0: Apple Podcasts. The Axe Man of New Orleans is back. Ah! No, no, wait, I meant in metal with a new song from Dust Prophet.
2: Could you not have led with that?
0: Sure, but then you wouldn't have done the contractually obligated scream that I can now use for exciting purposes. Watch, Dust Prophet have a new song. Ah! (laughs) Here's another one. The tent broke off, so they're giving away free beer to everyone. Ah! Yes! (laughs) I hate you. When the Axe Falls, new fuzzed out jam from the New Hampshire fuzz rockers, Dust Prophet. Available on Bandcamp. Linked link down in the podcast description. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome back to the Metal Robot Podcast. Let's take us to a world where the 80s never left us. I'm talking, of course, of classic 80s-style heavy metal, the golden age of the pure, thrashing, melodic, catchy, gritty sound that became the stepping stone for metal to evolve into what it is today. For better, or when you're looking at Black Veil Brides, for worse. Bringing on the 80s in a modern tone, Splintered Throne last week just released their sophomore album The Greater Good of Man, which marks the first album with new vocalist Lisa Mann, a.k.a. White crone. So, in anticipation for the new album, I sat down not too long ago with the band's guitar player, Jason J-Mo Moser. If you're curious to know, that nickname comes from his secret hip-hop project, J-Mo and Du Bois. They have an album called Straight Out of Portland, and instead of writing about drugs, sex, and growing up in a rough town, they write about that time Cody's shih tzu took a dump on the freshly cut lawn. Interesting stuff. So, let's get into it. I do want to apologize before we get into it, though. Uh, we had a connection issue through Zoom the day of the interview, and it did a affect the sound quality of Jason's audio. Not much we could do at the time, but I did try to clean up as much as possible for your listening pleasure, so I do apologize if that didn't end up working out, but I hope that you'll still at least uh, listen through and take in what's being said. But here we go, Splintered Throne, The Greater Good of Man with Jason Moser, Part 1. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. That's always good to hear. Welcome, welcome to the show, fantastic. So before we get started here, one thing I always like to do with every band that comes on here is give them a chance. To introduce themselves, talk about themselves, the band. So, uh, take this couple seconds, you know, tell me more about Splintered Throne, tell me more about yourself and uh, your part in the
2: band. So, my name is Jason or J Mo, uh, and I am the only one here right now because everybody's working. Um, the band has been around since 2006 in the Portland area, Portland, Oregon, and uh, we've gone through a couple of different incantations over that time, and uh, The band has kind of morphed through everything from being a kind of a a death metal band when it started to kind of uh when chris the drummer and i joined the band it became more of like uh traditional metal kind of stuff and now now that we have lisa in the band it's really kind of kind of gone that way since most of the songwriting is now kind of rested on uh on my shoulders for this last album as far as the music goes so um through that time, we've been able to garner pretty local, pretty good local and regional support. We're, you know, for a while before the uh, pandemic, we were kind of always asked, "Hey, this band's coming through town. You guys want to open? You guys want to do this?" There was a lot of good stuff before the pandemic. Uh, with the pandemic, things kind of got shut down up here and in, in the northwest, for lack of a better word, venues dropped by the side. Nobody was coming here to tour anymore. So it's almost it's kind of refreshing to come out with a new singer and we actually have a new guitar player um, who replaced Fred that was in the band and now Matt's the guitar player. He's been one of my best friends for about the last 15 years. So it was only kind of naturally he came in and it's almost like we're a new band. Um, So it's kind of refreshing to be out there with all these other newer bands that popped up during the pandemic and, and here we still are. And so now we're going to have this, this product and kind of make another, Another run at it, so to speak, and um so far it's been uh, we've got really good response from everything we put out, and uh, we're excited to just keep keep that ball rolling.
0: You're here obviously to discuss the new album from Splintered Throne, The Greater Good of Man, due out August of this year. Uh, but leading up to this album, as we we were just talking about, there was a change up in the band. Obviously, you were talking about the new guitar player Matt uh, replacing Fred, but of course, there's also the most obvious addition that I think most people have noticed: Lisa is now the vocalist, who was not in the band previously with the previous album Redline. She's filling in uh, the place of the founding member Brian Garrison. Can you go into a bit more detail of what happened with Brian? Uh, why did Brian leave? Was it anything like uh, dramatic, or was it just you know he felt his time was uh, up with the band?
2: Brian had a lot of family stuff going on at the time, and um, he had moved to Seattle and. I want to say 2014 ish. And the rest of us all lived in the Portland Metro area. So when he moved it, it made things a little different, difficult with the uh, distance. Um, for those who don't know how far it is, it's about a, f- about a two, three hour drive for rehearsal. So, oh geez. yeah, it, it's, it makes it tough. So that was a little bit of a strain and, um, you know, it's just, uh, I think it was a time in his life to kind of try some, try and do some different stuff. And, um, what was the really interesting thing about it is we played our last show. We opened for, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam. They came through town and Brian announced it was his last show. And so we're up there and we're playing and we're like, who are we going to need to sing? We really don't know anybody in the area that, you know, we're familiar with that does this because nobody really does what we do. And I remember looking down and I saw Lisa in the front row. And I recognized her from, you know, being the Portland Blues icon that she is, and been in the scene forever. And she knew the words to every song. I was like, that, she knows the words to all our songs. That's so cool. Yeah. And uh, we got done. Uh, we tore all the gear off the stage, and I was the last one into the bar. And I saw her walking away from our bass player Brian. And I said, "What? What did she want?" And he had her business card. And he says, she wants to come sing for us." So. Uh, we were super stoked, super excited, and uh, we had two dates for auditions. She came out with about, uh, I think we did three or four people each day, and she just killed the audition. Like, not only did she know the songs for the audition, but she knew our whole catalog. We would just call stuff out. Hey, you know this? Oh, yeah, I know that one. Hey, you know this? Oh, yeah, I know that one. Hey, can you <laughs> sing Burn by, by Deep Purple? Oh, yeah, I know that one, too. It was just, just a total pro, and so... You know, we we knew when she walked out the door, I, at least I did. I'm like, that that's the, that's our next singer. Oh, my gosh. And with Brian, it's been really nice because he and I are still really good friends. As a matter of fact, today is his birthday, um, which is the 7th of, of June, if you're getting this on some other day. Uh, and basically, the way he left was like this. He said, here's the keys to the Corvette. Just don't don't destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> very much what we've been doing.
0: Fantastic. And how has Lisa been fitting into the band? Obviously the audition went splendidly well from what you're just telling me right now, but how has she been fitting into the band's dynamic? Obviously we have the results of it in the new album, but how has her being in the band changed things up?
2: Um, You know, it really hasn't. She, she and I get along so well. It's like uh, we joke, you know, Oh, i'm the brother from another mother and she's my sister from another mista i mean it's like we grew up listening to the same kind of music hundreds of miles away and so for us to have this love and desire of trying to do the same thing in in the band and the same with all the guys when she came on it was like she just it's like she's been here forever and it's a super natural you know it's just a natural progression we're all the same age we all have pretty much similar upbringings um, you know, when you're a band and you're young, you kind of play with all your friends from high school and maybe right after that, it's, it's like we've all been friends since high school. Um, it's just amazing how that chemistry works and how, how lucky we are to have found somebody like that who just rolled right in, and, you know, like she's been here the whole time.
0: I'm glad that things are actually working out with you guys as well, because obviously you usually when new singers come along as well, uh, it usually dynamics can change within the band, but also the fan base usually has a bit of a harder time adjusting to that new singer. There's plenty of examples I can name off the top of my head, but without going into a rage inducing spiral, how about we, uh, Talk about how the reception has been for Lisa. How has she been received by uh, Splinter Thrones fan base?
2: For the most part, I'd say pretty good. We, we have a couple diehard fans that um, they weren't super happy to begin with. But, you know, uh, you have to change. You have to evolve no matter what it is. And so, um, you know, for the couple that we lost, we, we've gained more support in the last year and a half than I think we have in the last five. So for us, uh, it's just been a, a welcome change to kind of take it to the next level or version 3.0 or whatever, whatever cliche you want to use for the next chapter. That's mm-hmm. pretty much what it is. And, you know, again, this, the feedback we've got for the most part has been phenomenal. The couple that decided they want to do, you know, not, not be our fran- friends or fans or whatever. Okay. That sucks. That sucks. But uh, we're going to take these other, you know, fifty people over here instead. So.
0: And what about uh, Matt? Because you mentioned he's a new guitar player replacing Fred. Uh, how is he? How is he been doing in the band? How has he gelled with the group? How has he contributed to this new album?
2: So the story with Matt is Matt and I met about fifteen or twenty years ago. We were both auditioning for a cover band together and matt and i both grew up in the san francisco bay area like across the bay from each other again how we didn't meet back in the day i'll never figure it out but <laughs> here we are up here you know years later and uh the cover band didn't didn't work but matt and i were like man we need to we need to play together because i you and i, I and mean, we get along really good um and then matt and i were going to put together a band um called earth to ashes and i ended up getting into a different project Matt kept moving forward with earth to ashes and he's actually still in that band as well. So he's doing, he's doing a couple of different things. Um, earth to ashes is his, his main project. Mm-hmm. So when, when Fred had, had left, I called Matt that morning and was just kind of like, oh, man, I don't know how I'm going to replace that guy. He's a phenomenal guitar player and you know, everybody else I know that's really good is busy and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, how about me? And I, I oh, oh yeah. Like, I didn't even know you were right. <laughs> Absolutely. So again, it's just been I couldn't have asked for, you know, somebody that's more depth, get along with. Uh we really can write some well harmonies together, which I really like doing. Um harmonies is kinda guitar harmonies is like one of the things that really I think sets us apart from a lot of other bands. We really try and fit harmonies into not just leads, but if you listen on this this uh on the greater good of man, you'll hear some riffs where he's actually doing a harmony in the riff, um, which is really cool. And uh, really being able to bring somebody like that. Yeah. It's just super sick. Some of the older tunes like uh splinter throne, uh, which has been around since, since our EP that came out in, I think 2011 or 12, same thing. It's, it's pretty standard old school metal riff. And that he throws in a, like a harmony to the riff as it's going, which reminds me of like the old Testament, like Testament does that a lot. Where they'll, they'll be playing a riff and i don't know who it is but the other guy will do like a, a fifth or a third to it and uh, it just makes it sound really dark and evil and different you know so uh it's just been great having you know every, every time each of those people said they were leaving the band the three of us that were left well four of us for the most part we all said well what are we going to do how are we going to place brian for example that's such a great singer and here comes lisa it's like okay uh, that's cool and then when Fred left, same thing, I'm like, how are you going to replace that guy? He's so freaking good <laughs> and was a major contributor to a lot of the songwriting. And then we, we got out in that, Matt. Now, when we got Matt, I'd already started writing most of The Greater Good of Man. So I ended up writing musically probably 90% or better of the, the album. It was pretty much done. Um, so he hasn't really contributed to the writing part of it so much, but a lot of the harmonies, the fills, The Mm -hmm. other guitar parts that he's layered Mm -hmm. over it um, have all been very well received and just something I would never have thought of because his brain thinks a whole different way than mine does.
0: Part one with Jason Moser of Splintered Throne. Once again, massive apologies about the audio. If it was a distraction for you, hopefully it wasn't. And hopefully you'll come back for part two next week. Don't go anywhere, though. News of the week coming right up on the Metal Robot Podcast. This week's Metal News Recap is brought to you by MyCenity.
1: Everything is so depressing! Why?!
0: To stay up to date with the latest in the metal scene, check out TheMetalRobot.com for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. Now, back into the podcast. Presented by TheMetalRobot.com This is Mr. Alright, the news this week has been nuts. There's a lot to tackle and not a whole lot of time either. Like, I usually don't like taking too long on the segment for timing purposes, and I'd rather be able to keep these episodes digestible as much as possible. So let's not waste too much time. Let's get into it with the first story. The song that the 2000s never forgot, even into the 10s and 20s, Bring Me to Life, was one of the most popular gothic metal songs that helped Evanescence skyrocket during that time. Everybody knows this song by this point, I'm not even joking, I didn't even have to play that little bit at the beginning to remind you, all I had to say was the title, or literally just say, wake me up, and the goth eyeliner magically appears on your face. Well, it's come back into the spotlight once again, thanks to the song topping the iTunes charts, 19 years after its release. We've seen this happen already this year even with uh Metallica's Master of Puppets being featured on Stranger Things. But while we know why Master of Puppets shot up the charts Nobody seems to know why Bring Me To Life is topping the charts right now. There is some speculation, of course, and the main ones being the most stereotypical responses from each platform. Like, Twitter thinking it's because the song was a hurdle puzzle answer. Reddit, surprise, surprise, thinks it's because the song is on sale for 69 cents. Go figure. Some are even saying it's thanks to the recently announced tour co-headlining with Korn. The reason why that's significant is because Korn guitarist Brian Head Welch had previously spoken with Rock Sound about the song singing its praises about how it helped him during some dark times.
1: I told her before when I was like messed up on drugs I was blaring that bring me to life song and it was like it was like talking to me you know what I mean and so that's what I needed I needed a new beginning. That
0: can definitely do something but get it to number one on iTunes? I don't know. Also, that interview came out in June. If that was the sole reason, then why did it take so long? I don't know. It could be one of those reasons, it could be all of them, who knows at this point. But regardless, congrats to the band on proving that nostalgia never dies. Then we got a lengthy interview from Dave Mustaine on the Joe Rogan Experience, Spotify Savior and Albatross. In the podcast, a lot of ground was covered with Dave Mustaine that there's no way we can really cover everything, but if you're interested in giving Joe your listen, go check it out, I guess. I don't know. It's up to you if you want to waste your time. I shouldn't talk. I shouldn't be talking shit here, as I literally had to do that just to get all the shit I got for this piece. But anywho, in the nearly three-hour podcast, Joe and Dave get into a lot, from that time Dave placed hexes on people after his time as a Jehovah's Witness, that time Mark Kerr scared his wife while getting candy and also him being a black belt in so many martial arts styles that it's amazing James Headfield survived the trip to the airport way back when. Actually great segue because one of the things that also discussed was Dave's relationship with Metallica. It was fairly brief, much like Dave's time in Metallica, but there was still some important beats hit, including the fact that Metallica used Dave's music without his permission.
1: But the thing that bothered me the most was I had all my music and I left it behind and I said, "Don't you- used my music, and of course they did. Oh, really? Yeah, they used it on the first record. On the second record, there's parts of my music on a song on the third record. All the solos on the first record are mine, except that they're just performed by Kirk, and close, but not the same
0: yeah that sounds about right not really surprised by that in the slightest but that sounds like it should have pissed off dave and rightfully so on that one especially since he wasn't receiving all the royalties for his contribution as he also said in this podcast but dave sees it differently today saying that he's
1: not that bitter about it so there's a sadness and bitterness not bitterness. No bitterness, I'm over it. a little it. upset, you know it's just money, you know, like yeah. you said, you know at the end of the day, you know I'm, my happiness and my family, my wife and my children are more important to me than, than anything in this world and and um, you know I, I, I love our fans, I, I have so many things in this life that I'm happy about, but man it's, it's, it's my family.
0: Well, you know what? I think that's a great way to look at it. It does suck that he didn't get all the royalties, but at least he's not dealing with James and Lars anymore. I mean, at least he's doing really well for himself. That's totally what I meant to say. Mostly because he's not stuck with James and Lars, of course. Though, to be fair, actually, if you think about it, back then, they may have been stuck with him given the shit going on back then. Anyways, uh, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead is due out September 2nd this week, coming up. I'll have a review for that when it comes out. Should be sick. Then, uh, when you think of deicide, what do you usually think of? Usually some gnarly-sounding death metal that rips the flesh off the bone if your speakers are powerful enough in front of you. But proggy anthem music, is that usually something that comes to mind when thinking of deicide? not really, not never really the first thing that comes to your mind, which makes this quote from vocalist and bassist Glenn Benton very intriguing. The new stuff that we're writing now is really anthem-style stuff and that. It's really good, man. There's a lot of prog stuff in there, mixed in oh, there. Oh, wow. Okay, before even going further, I had never heard Glenn speak before, so I was not expecting that voice after listening to some of that gnarly death metal. Like, damn dude, that's a great voice. My God, I'm not even gay, but that voice is making me feel things. Okay, one embarrassing Tom moment at a time. So that was Glenn Benton on the Garza podcast talking about some new deicide coming down the pipeline. The music was apparently written last year before the Legion 30th anniversary tour. So you might be wondering, of course, why Prague? Well, Glenn further explains. Steve's our Prague guy, man. Steve's the progressive rock guy. Yeah, he likes to write those really like black metal riffs and the progressive stuff. Sick. Well, he definitely have to see a plan style for it. Yeah, dude. He's he's an amazing talent, man. He plays piano. He can play sweeps on guitar. I mean, a fucking he's a drummer. Freak. Yeah, dude. He, he can do it all. Yeah, that about tracks. Those fucking drums did not come from a dude just feeling his way around the kit. No fucking way. Now, so far, this is about all the information we have on the new album. We don't know a name, a release date, track listing, anything as of recording this podcast. But I am curious to know what... Anthem Prague Day aside sounds like. I don't know. I'm kind of curious. What are your thoughts? Then, in metal band Hot Potato news, Nightwish have officially announced the guy replacing Marco Hietala on bass. That spot now goes to Juka Koskinen of Winter Sun. Now, he took up the touring duties after Marco's departure, and given everything the dude brought to Nightwish over the years, you can bet those were some massive shoes to fill. But people seem to have liked him in the temp position, as it were, but until this week, there was no confirmation if he was going to be the final replacement. But since he's now officially with the band, and he'll most likely be featured on whatever next Nightwish album that we're going to get sometime in the future. Now, there so far hasn't been any confirmation on when this will be coming out or what this Nightwish album will sound like, but speaking with Roxferia, Tuomas Holopainen, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, I do apologize if I'm not, uh, confirmed that the writing and recording process had begun, but gave no details on an official release other than about a year from now. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but in the meantime, massive congrats and a metal robot good luck to Jukka Kuskinen. And then, unfortunately, sad news this week. Stuart Anstis, formerly of Cradle of Filth, had passed away this week at the age of 48. The news broke through also former Cradle of Filth member Richard Shaw's Instagram this week. Even Cradle of Filth's main dude, Danny Filth, had a few words to say on the band's Instagram. Quote, For a long time, he and I were bestest of friends living in a small village here in Suffolk, and despite that relationship eventually changing, it did nothing to diminish the fans' appreciation of his creative flair and talent right up to the present day. And I do appreciate the fact that there are kind words being said here. Even despite, you know, the relationship between Danny and Stuart, it's good to know that these guys, at the very least, at this point are able to kind of reconcile in some form. Now, so far, there's been no word on the cause of death, though, of course, with a story like this, I think it's probably best that we let the family grieve and leave it at that until more information is openly presented by those who want to make that known. In the meantime, though, my condolences to the family, friends and to the cradle camp. He will be missed. And then finally, uh, remember when we all used to hate Nickelback? Wait, we still do. Never mind, scratch that. Remember when they sucked harder than a Mia Malkova-themed Roomba? But then Feed the Machine happened in 2017, and while it still featured the suck that is Nickelback's pop song writing with terribly fitting voice from Chad Kroger, that album did start to see the band delve back into hard rock, almost metal kind of sound. It was at least heavier than what we're used to, which in my review all those years ago with the stupidest haircut ever, my God, what was I doing there? Uh, I felt at the very least that it worked better with Chant's rougher vocal timbre. It definitely helped it gel much better when they started actually going heavier. Well, thankfully, it seems the band has responded to that, because a teaser that came out earlier this week for new Nickelback music has exploded the online world of rock and metal once again, in a good way this time. Check it out. Shit, dude, that's almost post-hardcore. Who was expecting that from Nickel Derp? That little clip posted on the band's uh, socials has taken the metal world by storm this week, and it's not hard to see why. It does get you kind of excited for a band that is most known as one of the most hated rock bands to come out of the Great White North. By the way, that last part, why do they add that, eh? that offensive, bud, just saying. Of course, that is still not showing if it'll sound good with Chad's super rough vocal delivery, but if Feed the Machine was anything to go off of, I think we're in for something really interesting. And that's it for this week's Metal News Recap. Like I said, lots of ground to cover, but hopefully I was able to fit it in very nicely. Any comments on the stuff talked about this week, anything I may have missed, let me know in the YouTube comments, or shoot me your takes on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are, I'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to check out TheMetalRobot.com for more news and press that can be found throughout the week. Coming up, Killfeather returns to melt brains, but also, more importantly, talk about the new album, Armchair Revolutionaries, but also still melt brains in the This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Fifteen plus artists, multiple cultures, multiple languages. One. Almost unpronounceable name. HOMOYOISIOS. Oh, HOMOYOISIOS. Hey, HOMOYOISIOS. mother. My, what the fuck does it say? It's pronounced HOMOYOISIOS. HOW?! There's 20 O's! It's Latin. What'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. HOMOYOISIOS. A symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. What genres? Looking to stay up to date on all things metal robot? No, not really. What? Why? I don't listen to metal. How are you listening to this podcast? I thought it was Joe Rogan. We're gonna pretend he didn't say that. Follow the show wherever you tread on social media: Facebook and Twitter at the Metal Robot, Instagram at the Dot Metal Robot. You can even join the Metal Robot Discord server.
1: We have fun there.
0: Links to all of that and more in the description of this podcast. Follow now. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. We are back on the Metal Robot Podcast with Killfeather! I I don't know where the energy came from. Must have been Chad Kroger injecting speed into my veins for not salivating at the Nickelback teaser. Killfeather returns to talk more about the new album Armchair Revolutionaries, which is out now. You can find it on all streaming platforms or by checking out the links in the podcast description. I am curious to know what you think about the album. It's definitely not a typical rock or metal affair, and it might take a bit of getting used to, maybe with a bit of chemical help, who knows? But Once you get in the groove, I think you'll start to groove with it for sure. And once you know that, it'll make Killfeather's talk of the writing process and even the short and batshit recording process that he has that much more interesting. So let's get more into it. This is Kevin Killfeather, part two on the Metal Robot Podcast. Going back to the the new album and even uh, the show that we were talking about from this past Monday on the 1st, we're recording this August 3rd. Uh, On that show and even shows that might come after this, have you played anything off of that new album or are you saving that for after the release of uh, Arm? chair revolutionaries
1: um so once again just to go back a little bit so that whole record is myself so that's that whole thing is me on every instrument um all the producing all the vocals everything um so i have not played that record with this band yet um we've just once again right when i moved here found guys and we immediately wrote and recorded a new record so I'm, i'm a little bit ahead of myself which i tend to do but, um, we definitely plan on learning some and playing some, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of time, so to speak, but I'm, I'm constantly, as we mentioned before, I'm always like ahead. I always have a couple records ahead that I'm kind of, you know, a little, a little space brained here and there where I, you know, I get a little ahead of myself. And I think that's another thing too, that contributes to, um, my ADHD is that Uh. I just, you know, like I said, I'm constantly writing man. I'm constantly like, okay, cool. Song's done. All right. Put it on the wall. All right. Right. Song's done. Put it on the wall. You know what I mean? It's not like a, it's not like a thing that I package and put plastic wrap over and like, here, listen to my record. Like I I'm, I'm not a really great salesman. You know what I mean? I'm an (laughs) artist. So it's hard for me to, to go, Hey man, listen to this one record I have for a couple of years. Like, no, like I'm already five records ahead, man. You know what I mean? I'm already constantly trying to, and I'm not one of those people who are like, try to get on trends or try to get on sounds, you know, like there's a lot of bands I feel nowadays that just kind of regurgitate the same shit over and over again, the same drop D chugs, you know what I mean? And it's like, all those bands are really successful and well, most of them are pretty successful. And then, you know, um, but none of them have hits, you know, none of, And we're like, okay, what, what is a hit? Right. Like, what is a yeah, what is a hit song? Who wants that? You know, But, um, once again, it's like that retention, like people don't remember, you know what I mean? Like you got to give them something to to remember. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of these bands are just chasing that, like cut off denim jacket vibe when it's like, you know what? I mean, if that's you and that's, and that's what you do and that's natural and it's real more power to you no judgment, no shame. But when it's like something that you're trying to conjure, you know, when it's something that you're trying to like, you're trying to chase or or make or you know once again wrap some plastic wrap around just so you could sell so you could never work another day in your life. Like music is work. Touring is work. Recording a record is work. So you know these things of like I I don't blame pop music. You know, they're just doing what they do best, which is making bubblegum songs for the masses to sing at halftime. You know what I mean? but it's like, as far as rock music is concerned or punk music, there has to be some real element to it. There has to be some, like some, some natural, um, just, you know, like I said, just realness, man. I think that's what's missing a lot from music these days is that there's just too many people who want to, you know, put on the costume and not really like live the life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, that's a whole nother podcast in itself, my friend. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's, a, that's an entire discussion right there. And uh, in that entire, uh, in the entire discussion, I would like to ask uh, many of the thrash metal fans that I've ripped so hard on this podcast to take notes because <laughs> <It's laughs> I've done that on this podcast specifically, I have ripped so hard into uh, many of the subgenres because it's what I do thrash metal, death metal, metal core, everything for just yeah. going with the gravy train. Right. Um, right. All right, so this next question, uh, I don't know how exactly this one, one's going to go, but um, are you the kind of, per- this is just completely 180, but are you the kind of person who sings their own stuff or other stuff in the shower?
1: Uh, no. Uh, you fucking are, I aren't am- you? Come on. <laughs> I am not. So I will get really rip shit faded and start humming melodies. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as singing my own songs, not really. I mean, like that. It's kind of funny because a lot of the time when I go to record, I've never sung the song before. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a song that I've had in my head. I hadn't practiced it with a band or I hadn't, like, you know, gotten that, that, um, that muscle memory of, like, where I need to be, you know, as far as um, tune-wise is. Right. Um, but... Yeah. So a lot of the time when I'm going into the studio and I'm recording, like that's going to be the first time that I, it's ever even come out of my mouth. You know what I mean? So a lot of the time I'll be sitting there just kind of fucking with shit and putting different vocal styles and harmonies and effects until um, my lizard brain is satisfied, you know, so. Um, but no, not not too much singing, not too much singing outside of recording or, or okay. recording.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm completely different on one, that one. But are are, are you suggesting that uh, what we've got with uh, Armchair Revolutionaries, a lot of that is like first take stuff? Is that what you're saying? Oh, or yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Ooh. Yeah.
0: In that case, I'm going to let uh, the dear Metal robot listener be the judge of that one. But I'll <laughs> tell you right now, I'm thoroughly impressed if that's your first take. Holy
1: shit. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of that is, man. I mean, I would say realistically, probably 75% of it. Um, of course, you know there's layering and there's overdubs and there's harmonies and stuff like that, but yeah, initially what what you hear is what you get, you know that's kind of my thing, you know what I mean, or like uh a good adage from Stevie Ray vaughn is like if you can't do it once, you can't do it ten times, you know what I mean, like he was very renowned, or Bowie, for example, was renowned for going in and just doing it. you know what I mean, and that's what you got. there was no tuning, there was no bullshit, it was just like. Here's, here's my voice. If you don't like it, don't buy it. I don't, I really don't care. You know what I mean? Like
0: that is fair enough. That is fair enough. All right. My final question for you. And is probably the most important question that I always ask everybody. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be?
1: Oh, God damn. Hit me with a hit me with the tough ones today. Always
0: hitting with the tough ones here.
1: Uh, shit, man. If I could be any cereal box, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with Count Chocula. You know, my man, Count Chocula.
0: A most popular response, I must say. That's a good one. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Kevin Kilfeather, thank you so much for coming on the show. The new album is Armchair Revolutionaries. By now, it's uh, it, it's out, so you can pick it up. I believe is it going to be on streaming service along with uh, Bandcamp.
1: Yep. It'll be on Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff, you know, hitting a Walmart shelf soon in the future. So. All
0: right. Well, Mr. Killfeather, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, man. Have a great one.
0: That was Kevin Kilfeather. Armchair Revolutionaries is out now on all streaming platforms. Go check it out. Get on a psych trip of psych rock and psych things and psych. I, I don't know. The music clearly has fucked with my brain. It's a literal smoothie right now. Like if I start shaking my head, you can hear the liquid shifting in the microphone. Actually, just out of curiosity, if I take a straw, stick it up my nose, bend it into my mouth, I want to know what my brain tastes like. Let's see. Ugh, tastes like squishy meat, aged beer, bad decisions, and... Is that cat hair? Why cat hair? No, that's not it. It's... Uh... Tip Pro, don't brain your drink. Uh, ooh, let's wrap presents. This is the robot podcast metal. Fuck. You just listened to Okay, I think my brain's recovered slightly on that one, so let's fill you in on the next lineup on the show. Splintered Throne returns to talk more of the greater good of man, and Greg Schwan of Witnesses joined us to talk about the new EP, the Holy Water EP, that's out now, plus more news and reviews throughout next week. In the meantime, though, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet YouTube Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at The Metal Robot. You can also check out everything Metal robot on themetalrobot.com for videos podcasts press and so much more special thanks to jason moser and Killfeather for killing it tonight and to of course our thrashing co producer anna keeping the robots gears maintained i'll take the next shift on that one i promise i'm tom mckay if you enjoyed this episode and you want more be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts i'll see you in the mosh pit next time have a good night